My name is Wade. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And um, that's my timer. I want to make sure I don't speak too long. Um, so uh, I don't like to talk too much about um, my own personal life when I speak. Uh, I have multiple reasons, but one of them is I don't want my personality or my whatever I say to overshadow what God's Word is saying. But um, I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about me and where I am um, and before I go into the, the meat of the sermon, I'm going to kind of begin our, our time with a kind of a preamble to the sermon. Every sermon that I preach is one that I need to hear. Not because what I have to say is all that important, but because hopefully I'm preaching faithfully from the Word of God. And if I do, then God is speaking to us. The preaching of the Word of God is one of the primary ways that God communicates to His people what they need to hear. So, therefore, in that sense, every sermon is a sermon that, even the ones I preach, um, even if it's not a good sermon, it's one that I need to hear. It's one that you need to hear. Today, I'm going to preach a sermon that I really need to hear. And this is why I need to hear it, because I'm really tired. Uh, the past couple of years have been pretty tough on the church, and for me, and since the pandemic began, there's been, there have been a number of things that have happened in the church. Uh, you guys may be aware of that. Um, in the church and some things in my life that have really beaten me up. And I haven't had a whole lot of time to rest. And I haven't taken the time to process all that's happened. Um, a few months into last year, I mentioned in one, one of my sermons that um, there, was a, there was a moment um, when I was working, and then I just said, uh, I'm pretty tired. And I just lay down on the, on the cold, hardwood floor, and I just uh, lay there for a while and just stared at the ceiling. And um, I, I felt a whole lot of sadness and despair. Um, I was At that point, I was so shocked, and I felt so discouraged by everything that was happening in our church. And then, if you were around for it, uh, things got even worse in our church, and I felt even more terrible. I was tired and demoralized, and since then... Um, there have been times since that first time that I just wanted to lie down on the ground and I just want to stare at the ceiling and completely zone out. Since that first episode, I believe that um, as a church, we've gone through so much. And I believe that our church is in a better spot now than we were this time last year. I know that God has been faithful. You have seen the faithfulness of God. And even though we as a church still have our challenges, I'm confident, I'm Certain that our best days are ahead of us. That said, I'm really tired. Um, a few months ago, I, I told some people, uh, I, I told them, I feel like I could burn out at some points. And uh, let me tell you, if you ever say that to someone, you're already at the point of burnout. And I didn't realize it. Um, a few weeks after that, I was really burnt out. Um, I've uh, experienced uh, a, a deep fatigue in my bones. I've uh, had some symptoms of depression. Let me, I, I don't, I'm not depressed, but I've experienced symptoms of depression. Um, and it affects you because I've dropped the ball on a whole lot of things. Uh, plans I've made with other people I've neglected to follow through on. I have not been as effective as I need to be for this church. I've been a bad friend. I haven't been fully present at home. I've experienced anger and sadness and bitterness, bitterness and resentment. Um, this is, this is uh, what I've been feeling. 
Um, if you want to kind of like hear how my heart sounds, go to YouTube later. Um, listen to a song by Justin McRoberts called Laying Down on the Job. I've listened to that song um, a lot over the past year. Um, so that's, uh, that's where I am. And I want to be really, really clear as well. It's not because there have been unreasonable demands placed on me. It's not because the people around me have not been supportive. It's not because the session and staff have not been awesome. Actually, um, every single one of them, Tracy, Tom, Sammy, David, Jeff, they have gone far beyond what you guys know. And they have worked harder and they've sacrificed more than I have. So I hope to continue to work with them as long as God has me here at this church. So it's not because um, of the people around me. It's just I'm tired um, and they've encouraged me to take a break. So I'll be taking a few weeks off in March and April. Um, and furthermore, let me say this. I'm not saying these things to get your sympathy. I don't want your sympathy, honestly. Um, don't come to me afterwards and say, oh, thanks for sharing. Uh, I've, I've heard that stuff. <laughs> I, I actually, and like I said, I really hate talking about my own life in my sermons because um, I don't want the things... The, the person that I am and who, like, the things I say to be identified too strongly with what we do as a church. Um, I'm just a dude, and uh, I'm not as good a dude as you people are. Um, I want what the Bible says to be at the top of the mind when we preach, and I want that to be what we remember. And if you really want to help me, the best way to kind of respond to what I'm saying is don't feel bad for my tiredness. The best thing that you can do for me as a pastor is to spend some time this week thinking about what, we, what we're talking about in today's scripture. So I say that all to say, I need to hear today's sermon because I am tired, and I'm not the only one on leadership that's tired, and you'll hear, from more, you'll, you'll hear more from others soon. And I also suspect that there are some of us in this room or some of us who are listening on the podcast tomorrow that perhaps you're tired as well. Probably not for the same reasons as me, but I bet that there is some weariness here at this church. So today I'm more aware than usual that I'm hearing things that I need to hear. I'm preaching to myself, and I hope that some of this will resonate with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the two passages that Meredith read just a moment ago. And my goal today is very simple. I just want to explain what I think, what I believe God is saying through the text, and for us to take what is said and do something about it. So thank you for listening to that. I'm going to try not to do that too often. I want the word of God to come through. So let's look first at our first passage, Galatians. So Galatians, the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul to the Galatian church. And his primary concern when he was writing this book was to combat the false teaching of teachers that seeped into the church and they preached a false gospel. They said, Christ is not enough. Christ is good, but he is not enough. You need to do more in order to earn favor with the Lord. And Paul tells them in the letter of Galatians, not throughout the whole letter, he says, remember the gospel. Believe the gospel. Put your faith in Jesus alone. He is enough, contrary to what the false teachers are telling you. And live by the Spirit. And he tells the church in his letter to the Galatians that as the gospel takes root, it will be reflected in their lives. It shows up in a way, in the ways that they interact with people. 
It changes the way that they live their lives and why they do the things that they do. And it should be the same for us. As we hear the gospel, as we let the gospel seep into our bones, it necessarily reflects in the way that we interact with the world. So that sets us up for Galatians 6.9. And if you have your your bulletin, or I'm not sure um, if it's, uh, it might be up there in a second. Um, Paul writes, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I want to look at this first phrase, let us not grow weary of doing good. Paul tells the Corinthian, the Galatian church, if you're in Christ, then you should be living according to the Spirit. You should be doing good things. What does it mean to do good? In Galatians, Paul gives the first century church, he tells them, this is what it looks like this is what it looks like to do good in uh, the context of your church. It looks like bearing the burden of others. It looks like financial remuneration for teachers in the church. It looks like serving others. It looks like loving their neighbors. It looks like doing things by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what all of us should be doing if we are believers in Christ. Paul writes to the Ephesian church in chapter 2, verse 10 of Ephesians, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason that you exist is to glorify God by doing the things that he created you to do. There are things that only you can do, And God says, before the foundation of the world, I've given you things to do that are good, to bless others, to honor God. We are the product of God so that we would do good for others for the glory of God. So Paul writes with the assumption, and to the Galatians as well as to the Ephesians, it's a given that you should be doing good. good. It's a given that you should be going outside your comfort zone to bless others because that is part of your identity. You don't do good things in order to be accepted by God because you already are accepted by God. And because you are accepted by God, you have a new identity and it shows in the ways that you engage with the world. So if you are a Christian, it means this, that you have power from the Holy Spirit that only you as a believer in Jesus Christ can do. There are things that you can do and that you will do that non-Christians are unable to do. So Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. In verse 9, he says, let us not grow weary. So the implication is when you do good, there will be times when you will feel weary. Doing good requires energy, and we all have a finite amount of energy. And if you are tired and weary today, then you can take a breather. It's okay. Take the time you need to rest, but don't give up. Don't give up in doing good. So Paul says, let us not grow weary. And there is a motivation for us to not grow weary. He says this later in the verse, For in due season we will reap. The basis of Paul's exhortation to the church 
is that everything worthwhile that they do will result in more good. Everything that you put effort into doing will result in something of eternal significance. And this is an encouragement to us that as we do good, we look ahead. We don't just look in front of us six inches. We look ahead a hundred yards. And Paul says, look at that. One day you're going to see that your work will pay off. One day you will see that every act of service, every act of love and compassion and advocacy, God will honor that. Even when you're tired, even when you were discouraged. And Paul in Galatians 6, he has this principle that he lays out for us. He says, what we sow, we will reap. This is um, uh, gardening or agricultural imagery for us. When we plant something in the ground, something is going to sprout from that. And here is the kind of uncomfortable truth about that principle, which I don't really like, is that we're not going to see the fruits of our labors right away. It could be a month from now, the things that you do, that you see the results from. It could be 10 years from now. It could be when you're long dead and gone and everyone has forgotten your name. That's when the fruit will show that's when someone's going to reap the seeds that you sowed. You're not going to see the fruits of your labors right away. But there is a hope in this passage. Paul says, you will see it in due season. And we don't know when that season is. But we know that God already has it planned out. The passage I read from Ephesians earlier the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's saying this. God is saying, before the universe was ever created, do you know that God had you in mind? He had your name in mind. And he said that there are things I've assigned this person, my son, my daughter to do. They will carry them out. And they're going to pick up a piece of trash that no one's ever going to see them do. And God's going to honor that. They're going to invest in someone's life. And God is going to honor that. This was written in eternity. The acts that you will perform. Every good work that you've done and will do has already been written in eternity before the universe existed. That means that nothing that we do is ever incidental. It's never accidental. Every good work that we do has a God-ordained purpose. And it all matters on an eternal scale. Before the world was created, God had you in mind to do what you were uniquely gifted to do. So let that be an encouragement to us today, that what we do matters. And I know that as a pastor, I maybe just might be saying that to validate you, to encourage you to do more. Um, I'm not trying to do that. Um, I just told you that I'm tired. I've done a whole lot. Um, I don't know if I've done a whole lot, but I feel the tiredness of it, what I've done. Um, I'm saying this because the Bible says it. The Bible says that there is an eternal significance to the things that we do. It wasn't uh, Russell Crowe and Gladiator, Gladiator that said that first. It was the Bible. Everything that you do is a seed that's placed in the temporary ground of this life. And what grows from that will last for eternity. But Paul says there is a condition to that. 
we will reap if we do not give up. That's the rest of verse 9. We will reap what we sow if we don't give up. Paul is not telling us that we need to go full speed ahead 24-7 for the rest of our lives. We need to have rhythms and seasons where we stop, where we take breaks, where we get the rest that we need. It's actually written in the rhythms of our lives. This is why we have Sabbaths. Sundays is, Sunday is supposed to be a time of rest for our souls. Paul's not telling us to white-knuckle our way through life and push forward, even though our minds and our bodies tell us to stop. There's a type of giving up that Paul refers to. And he says there is the type of giving up that will mean that your work will not result in fruit. There are things that we do that will not be honored by God. There are things that we do, even if they're morally neutral things, that will not have eternal significance. And I know that sounds contradictory to what I just said, but this is what Paul is saying. That's, we need to think about the things we do on an eternal level. We need to think about things that have eternal significance. We need to remember what lies behind why we do the things we do. Other translations of this phrase are lose heart, and this refers to giving up. It means that we look at things from not a human perspective, but from a godly perspective. We do things not for reasons of comfort or of uh, making ourselves or other people just feel good on a temporary level. We need to remember that we need it, that we do things by the power of the Spirit. That means that the things that we do that only you can do as a believer in Christ, these are the things that matter. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is way more powerful than any government or agency or any company. There are things that you can do as a believer in Jesus that the most powerful corporations cannot come close to because you have the Spirit of God working in you. And what does the Spirit of God do? It raises Jesus from the dead. And that power resides in us. So to not give up means that we continue remembering the purpose of all that we do, which is to glorify God, and that we need to do it with the strength that God provides, not in the strength that our flesh can muster. This is the earlier parts of Galatians chapter 6, which we did not read. It's to do things in the power of the Spirit. And I thank God that there are so many... uh, This is one of the great things about being a part of the church is I get to see what you guys do and what you guys have done. You've poured your life into this church. You've loved your neighbors well. You've cared for the places where God has situated you. You've remained faithful in the situations that He has placed you in. And thank God for that. I've been a recipient of that. Your neighbors and your community, your church... They have been recipients of the hard work, the good work that you've done. But the truth is that we have some tired souls here. And do you know what tired souls do? They become impatient with the people around them. They start feeling resentment when they feel alone in their tiredness. And when it seems like there's no one that understands it, there's no one that notices all that they do. Tired people lash out. They say and do things that they normally wouldn't. They disappoint the people around them. Tired people gravitate toward chaos. They cope in unhealthy ways. And tired people want to give up. And Paul, he writes to the Galatians 
and he says, I know that you feel like giving up. He's acknowledging this very human tendency to just stop doing what they've been doing. So what then can we do? The second passage that Meredith read earlier, it tells us to move in a specific direction. The words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And here is the invitation from Jesus, if you are tired. Jesus says, come to me, come to me. And what are the qualifications for us to come to Jesus? Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to me, all who have figured out the proper theological system. He doesn't say, come to me, all who attend church services regularly. Come to me, all who serve faithfully and sacrificially. Come to me, all who are Presbyterian. Come to me, all who are good and moral citizens. That's not what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The only qualification that I see here in this text is that you're tired. And that's, and what happens if we approach Jesus? He says, we will get rest. We get a rest that only Jesus can give. If you do the work that only a Jesus follower can do, and if you go to Jesus, he will give you the rest that only he can give. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he says this. He he says, stop carrying your own burdens. Take his yoke. A yoke is an instrument that's put on um, oxen when they're plowing the fields. So the oxen working together, they can bear the load together. Not So they're, they're not alone. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you so that I can carry your burden have you ever been in a church service where well-intentioned people up front will try to encourage you to leave your worries uh, behind? They'll say things like, let's try to forget the rest of the world. Let's close your eyes. Let's uh, try to uh, remove all the distractions so that we can focus on the Lord. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Don't do that. Don't try to forget the rest of the world when you come to church. You might have read the news, terrible news this morning in Southern California. Don't use the church service as a way to take your mind off all the worries and hurts of the week. If your goal is to be more zen and more stoic, If you want to be cool and collected, I can recommend some podcasts to you that will do a better job than anything that I've ever done or anyone has ever done here at the church to help you. I can recommend some substances that will make you forget things. But if you want true rest, then you will only find that in Jesus. That means that all the burdens that you have, everything that distracts your minds on Sundays, Jesus says, Come to me with those. Come to me with all your pain and your guilt. 
all your resentment and bitterness, come to me. Jesus invites us to that. About a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, um, there was a, a, gal, a gal by the name of uh, Nightbird on America's Got Talent. And um, her whole thing was, she got the golden buzzard from Simon Cowell, I think. Um, her whole thing was uh, she, she was dying of cancer. And um, before she died, she died, uh, I think, sometime last year. Before she died, she wrote a few blog posts on her website. And um, one of the most poignant blog posts is called... Um, God on the bathroom floor, or God is on the bathroom floor. And let me read to you a small portion of that blog post. I am God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to to me himself. I have called him a cheat and a liar, and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die, and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Call, count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in a rare form. I have felt his exhale, laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grouts. I'm sad too. Here she is, dying of cancer, um, lying on the ground of her bathroom, covered in vomit and tears. And she understands something that is difficult for us to understand sometimes. Is when you go to Jesus, you don't try to remove all the distractions and the difficulties. You go to Jesus with the things that burden you. And you tell him exactly, exactly what you feel. Take your hurts and your worries and your guilts and sin into the presence of Jesus and let him carry that for you. Jesus says, let me carry your load when he says, take my yoke upon you. Stop trying to do this on your own. He continues, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we go to Jesus, we don't just get a break from things. It's not just that we can close our eyes and rest. When we go to Jesus, he does something to us. He opens our eyes and our hearts to who he is. This is why he says, come learn from me. There are things that I cannot tell you from this pulpit that you're only going to learn when you rest in Jesus. No pastor, no small group leader, Nothing you read will teach you what you can only learn in the arms of Jesus. We develop a deep confidence that he really does care for us. We experience the goodness of Jesus. And Jesus says this, he is gentle and lowly in heart. He's gentle. 
Jesus will care for you with tenderness and compassion. He will not treat you as you deserve, but he treats you as you so desperately need him to treat you that no one else can. He will treat you with patience and kindness. And maybe you'll feel his smile on your soul. Jesus says he's lowly in hearts. We have a transcendent, holy God that if you looked him in the face, he would smoke you. You would regret looking God in the eye because that would be the end of you. When Jesus says he's gentle and lonely in heart, he's reminding us that he is the face of God made it known to us. The only way we can know God is through Jesus. The only way you can know God is through Jesus, not by being spiritual. This is why Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know God, it has to be through Jesus. God is a burning fire. But in Jesus is a heart that burns with a fire. It's warm, and you can lean against that beating heart. When we approach Jesus, we don't need to have all the right theological keys to unlock the door to get to him. When we approach Jesus, he welcomes us with open arms. As weird and as screwed up as you are, Jesus says, come. Come. And this is where we need to be in Delible Grace Church. In Jesus. I'm tired. Um... I'm going to get a little bit of a rest uh, down the line. And um, I'm going to ask you guys to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, we're very, uh, as Presbyterians, very unexpress- inexpressive, unexpressive. Um, we, we uh, culturally as well, we don't share a lot. Um, but I'm going to ask us to do something as a church. Um, you don't have to if you don't feel comfortable. But I want us all to see this. If you are tired, if you're tired and want a break, can I can I see your hand? Your tiredness is not a burden for the church to bear. Your tiredness, your weariness, your sin is a burden for Jesus to bear. So, I don't know if you guys were looking around, but at least three quarters of you guys raised your hand. And that tiredness is a blessing to the church. Because in our weakness and tiredness, that's where God works. My grace is made known in your weakness. My strength is made known in your weakness. And maybe one day we will hear stories from each other of what God has done through our weakness. We're not always going to be like this, I promise you. Uh, We've got some good days ahead of us. We've got a lot to celebrate as a church. We've got a lot of things to thank God for. And we can thank God because Jesus is Jesus. Gentle and lonely in hearts. I want to end this message with a call to those who did not raise their hands. If you've got some energy in you, then we need you to step up. That's the truth.
I want to paraphrase Ephesians chapter 2 to you again. For you are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. If you have strength, then you need to step up for your brothers and sisters who are weak and tired right now. You cannot become a Christian by doing good works, but you cannot be a Christian and not do good works. And look at the people. Think about the people who raised their hands, those who are tired. We need you to walk in the good works that God has prepared beforehand for you. So this is the end. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So this is my call to you. If you've got some energy in you, even if you don't, maybe. Maybe you've got some energy in other places that you can expend. Don't hear this as a guilt trip to do something. I'm not... This is... This is something for you guys to consider. Just as we go on through the rest of the week, think about the people that, um, that, that raise their hands around you. And think about what God might be calling you to do in response to what he's said to us in the past 20 minutes. Um, and for all of us, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus, gentle and lowly in heart. He will hold you. He will hold you fast. Will you pray with me? Uh, God, we um, some of us are tired, and we need your strength. And I pray that you would tell us through whatever ways you communicate to us that we can just droop our shoulders sometimes. We can let the tears fall sometimes. We can lie on the ground sometimes. We can be honest with you. Remind us of that, and I pray that we would go into the heart of Jesus as we do that, God. And give us strength. Renew us. Refresh us, God, for your glory, for the good of your people. We pray this in the name of gentle and lowly Jesus. Amen.